On episode 40 of the Driveline R&D podcast, Max Engelbrecht joins us, former closer for the Oregon State University Beavers, minor leaguer in the Washington Nationals organization, and current project manager for Driveline's training software, Track. Tune in for discussion about his wild retirement story, how he got introduced to Bodie and Driveline, his two favorite experiences during his baseball playing career, the future of Track software, and much more. Anthony's audio was bugging out for much of the episode, so that's why you won't hear a whole lot from him, but turned out to be a great episode nonetheless. Enjoy. Two, one. Traveling R&D Podcast, episode 40. This is Alex Caravan, Coastal Manager of Baseball Analytics, co-host, drinking a uh, spiked off-camera bubbly, peach bubbly, uh, at least my at least my top eight bubbly flavors. What'd you uh, spike it with off-camera? Why don't you come up here and find out? <laughs> Kyle Lee, sports scientist, engineer, uh, driveline baseball, uh, drinking a gin on the rocks, little Bombay sapphire. And I'm Anthony Brady, uh, sports scientist, biomechanist, primary host of the <laughs> R&D podcast, Researching Drinks. Uh, I have a Fremont Sky Kraken. Hazy Pale Ale, a, a regular recurring drink on the show. I think it's the third or fourth time you've had it. And our guest, uh, my, my name Brady's old roommate. Um, who knows, future roommate, we'll see what happens. Uh, Max Engelbrecht of the Oregon State Beavers, Washington Nationals, <laughs> and now uh, heading the track team at Dryland Baseball. Max, glad to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I've got a Rochelle, Rochelle, the beer. Uh, for any Seinfeld fans will maybe find that funny, uh, but good to be on here. Yeah. Do you want to kind of, uh, just give a quick, quick intro? I mean, I mean, you're, you're a pretty well-known guy. I, I know back in your, in your heyday when you were the, the, I think you said you were sixth on the all-time saves leader, uh, for Oregon state, but <laughs> back in your heyday, you're tweeting quite a bit, had a lot of Oregon state fans liking all of your tweets, but you know, a little bit. You know, in, in your current in your current uh, job, you're a little bit more low key. You kind of want to give the fans a a quick intro of your background and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. So um, I went to Oregon State, played baseball there. Was the 40th round pick of the Washington Nationals in 2017. I started training with Driveline in 2014, uh, back when it was just Kyle. Uh, I actually trained at Kyle's facility uh, in a trailer park back in 2011 or 2012, um, was pretty good friends with Kyle um, throughout. He started working with Oregon State in 2014. So I'd spend my summers uh, in Puyallup uh, training at the old facility and then was there until uh, I stopped playing in 2018. I quit, I retired. I think I'm on the restricted list technically. Um, Kyle actually sent me, I, I think I'm on the rule five draft list this year. So I was mostly coming on here to try to get, uh, back in the game now. Um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, um, retired from baseball. I came to work at driveline about eight days later. I started off by mocapping people. I think I actually, you know, in very bizarrely, oh taught Brady how to do the mocap uh, <laughs> markers. Uh, 
go break on uh, very briefly mocap assessment process let's yeah. go i didn't know that yeah yeah right. yeah so uh i did that for about uh two months and then i started working on track um in what july of 2018 uh we had a couple project managers that worked on that until about october and then i started uh kind of manning that up um done that for the last two years now so how did you good how did, how did you get introduced to kyle is that were you just like kind of looking for a coach uh like a pitching coach when you were when you were younger and you came across him and it just like happened to be uh like turned into this no, I remember uh, seeing him back. I think he gave us like just an absurd deal to train at their facility for like a month, but he never like worked with us. This was back when he was like a freshman coach at, at a not a very good high school. Um, but he started working. He, he started doing a couple studies um, and publishing in 2013, 2014. And then in the uh, like January, of 2014, our, our pitching coach at Oregon State, uh, Nate Yeski, um, kind of came to us like 40 days before the season and was like, we're going to do this now. Um, and so it was like a very radical approach um, to to work with Kyle. But um, yeah, I was supposed to play in the Cape that summer and I, I got hurt. Um, and so I, I broke a rib um, and couldn't really train. So I ended up going out to driveline and kind of like rehabbing there. And that became a theme because I kept getting hurt every uh, summer and I would go train at driveline. So, um, yeah, it just started off by kind of onboarding with the program. 2014 was like real early stages of driveline. I think we were uh, mistakenly doing like 20 pound wrist weights instead of 10 pound wrist weights to start off with. Um and so uh, definitely early on there, um, but it was cool. I um, became pretty good friends with Kyle um, and have been for several years now. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, um, kind of going into into your path, uh, retiring from baseball, I know I, I've heard a story. I don't know if Lindley's heard his story, but but I was curious if you were, you were kind of down to talk about the the almost pseudo bet that you were, you were talking about for your teammates before uh, before finally calling it quits. Um, cause I, I thought it was a pretty interesting story. And by the way, random, random note, I, I've told you this, I think, but the first time I met you, I actually thought you were Lindley. Cause I just saw Kyle Lindley on all these, uh, I don't know if I told you this Lindley, I kept seeing Kyle Lindley and all these like slacks and base camps. And then like, it was like four or five months in. So I don't really know all the like remote guys. And then, and then, and then Max shows up one day, he's coming to research lunch with us. And it's just like some, some tall blonde dude joking around of Bodie. So I'm like, okay, obviously this guy, like, knows people here he's not just some some rando and, and i'm like oh i guess it's kyle lindley i just had that in my mind because i kept seeing like kyle on like uh, the research like slack channels and then we, we roll into i think it was uh um uh, red robin and i was oh, like yeah. i mean I'll, I'll say what's up to kyle lindley like, i don't know him i shouldn't meet up so i go up to max i'm like what's up man and then he goes max and i'm so taken aback i didn't say anything i didn't even say my name i'm like what the fuck and i just like <laughs> walked, i just like walked away and i had to get my bearings but anyways uh yeah, if, if you're down, if you're down to share that story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that day pretty well. Um, I woke up. We, we had a day game, and our off day was the next day. Um, I woke up um, and I, like immediately fell in the shower. Kind of like cut myself up uh, a little bit there. Um, we had a day game. Yeah. 
No, go uh, ahead. I, was, I think I was going to make a bad joke, but uh, oh, good, go ahead. <laughs> good, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we had a day game. It was freezing cold. It was in April. Um, and so we had like, you know, four coats on and it's like seven of us talking about, um, you know, whatever we're doing in the bullpen. Nobody does anything in the bullpen in the minor leagues. Um, and so everybody's kind of asking, like, how much would it take for you to like retire right now? Like uh, how much money? And, uh, you know, I'm immediately like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go last. Uh, and so each person goes and they're like, ah, I'd be a million, uh, maybe two million. I need all my pre-art money to retire. And I'm thinking like, well, like being in the bullpen in like full season a ball is not typically where you find the, 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 you know, people with the most money. Right. So I kind of knew I was about done. And so I kind of waited till everybody went and I was like, you can give me a thousand dollars. I'll quit right now. Um, and the people were like, Oh, come on, like respect yourself a little bit more. So, uh, I'm like, okay, you give me five grand. I'll quit right now. Uh, so I think I pitched like the, the, either the eighth or the ninth. I think we were down like a run or two. Um, and I went like E six strikeout home run walk and got pulled. Uh, and then I came out, they were going to send me back down to um, the GCL, which well, it's just instructs there or extended spring training, which is not not where a 24 year old uh, that doesn't throw very hard wants to go. Um, that's kind of where you go to die. And so I accepted it, and I was like, okay, we fly out at 6 a.m. the next day, uh, and then I like immediately went and called Kyle, who was like at lunch or something. He didn't answer. I was like, hey, like, how do I quit? And Kyle's, you know, like, I think you just like go in and quit or go tell him. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that sounds easy enough. Uh, so I like went back and like knocked on the manager's door again. Um, it's like, hey, like I, you know, said at the beginning of the year that if I went back down, I was going to quit. Uh, and I didn't know if I could do it, but uh, I think I can do it. So how do I quit? And he kind of like, it didn't seem like he'd had that happen many times before. So, um, I think he's just like, well, I think I just like call him and tell him you quit, but this will be like pretty hard to undo. So thought about it for a minute and was like, yeah, I'm done. So yeah, I went back and told the guys afterwards, like, I guess I could have saved like $5,000 if I would have just quit that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was the last day. And uh, yeah. You, you haven't, you haven't pitched since, right? No, like an no. adult league or anything. That's what that's that's what I wanted to ask you. I noticed because uh, you've I've I've heard you mention it before how it was like you've just kind of moved on and you're pretty comfortable with that. And like a lot of people uh, drive line everybody's to like training because we can, and and a lot of guys are like kind of continuing to try to try to make it get another opportunity or whatever. What do you think it was that you were you just done? Like you've been playing so many years, you're a little tired of competing, or you just like. What was the reason? Do you think that you were so comfortable just calling it calling it good and uh, being done with being done with baseball and kind of moving on? Yeah, I mean it's probably partially to do with because like the last year or so I I was already sort of done, uh, and so I kind of started to resent playing a little bit, um, which is never a good thing to do if you're in the minor leagues. I mean there are, there are a few jobs worse to like not be excited to go do than play minor league baseball and with you know the pay and with the schedule and, and whatnot um i would say that's not what you're looking for there so by the time that i was done 
I mean, I was in a lot of a lot of pain just on like a day to day basis. Um, I got an arthritic knee. I have blown up my knee twice. Like I, I you know, the day to day grind of um, staying in shape and, and and being ready to play was well, it was definitely something that once I was done, like I really didn't want to feel anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's great if, you know, one of the selling points to work at driveline is you can keep training and keep throwing. And I like to play basketball, but like, I don't think I'm going to be a, like playing the NBA, you know? And so similarly, like if you can throw as a hobby and it's good exercise and then great, it's just, I, there's nothing I'd, I'd rather do, you know, less uh, at this point than <laughs> throw. I've just done, I did it for a long time and I loved it and I'm just done. I'm done. I actually like kind of kind of piggybacking off Lindley. I've always I don't, I don't know if Lindley says, but I, I've always kind of like low key admired you just being like pretty uh pretty set on that line because there are many people even that aren't clearly gonna play pro ball, but just like have goals and and are training and like pushing their bodies. And, and I mean you you yeah like you said you like exercise plenty, have your own like physical ho- hobbies. Uh, that that means basketball and, and other stuff. Not, not to uh, anything. Recently. Yeah 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 yeah. Um, but, but, but I remember even when we were testing out like a few, like different, like pitch tracking systems, I think the DK ball, like years ago, and you were like walking around with it <laughs> and then you just gave it to me. You're like, yeah, man, can you throw this into the net? Like, uh, <laughs> and I was like, to see the re spin rate. And I was like, I mean, yeah. Okay. And I just like chucked a terrible, I just chucked like it's sky high, like barely red. And I was like, I don't, I still don't know the answer, man. Cause that was an insane throw, but you're like. I'm not, I'm not throwing this. I got to get someone else to throw it. <laughs> like yeah. Nadine or Kevin can, can throw this. Yeah. I mean, partially though too, like, like obviously the areas where I would need more specific knowledge on like would not be like throwing again, but like if you're new to driveline and you want to get more familiar, like I think one of the the things that you could take for granted if you came up training with driveline or going to a driveline school, is just being familiar with like training methods and, and whatnot. And so I think like learning how to do the drills or walking through a workout or something is, is valuable. Um, fortunately with like, you know, my uh, experience, like, you know, I could, I've done, I did that for several years. So I don't think that me going through like a hybrid B day is, would like necessarily help me anymore. But like, if you're a new employee or, or, or you want to do it, that's great. And you definitely should. Um, but yeah, I've done, I've done, I've, I've, I've done. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, the, my first time ever meeting Bodie, Bodie and Tyke and uh, who else? I think Schwartz was down down in Arizona, but they were, I forget, it may have been for spring training or something. And that was right before I got my, or like right after I got uh, the 2017 RD internship. The first time I met them, I went to the game. Uh, it was OSU, OSU against ASU. You came in to close and uh, some dude struck out and threw his bat and they, they were just going nuts because I was like, I didn't I didn't know they were buddies with you. Like that is a that is just that's crazy. I, like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know why they're going crazy. But like Tyke's got his camera out zooming in on <laughs> on uh, Engelbrecht in the middle of the field. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Tyke was my first like tactically like throwing trainer. Right. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty funny. Yeah. That uh, my my two favorite moments of playing would have been that which was just a guy like threw his bat on like a fastball, like outside or whatever, or on senior day, I got an at bat um, or I got out, but I, uh, I, yeah, those were probably my two favorite moments. Uh, didn't, you, didn't you laser, didn't you like laser a ball into the outfield or something? 
Yeah, I have to have like the highest average exit velo in Oregon State history, right? I think <laughs> I think it was I hit a ball ninety four off the bat and like lined out the left field. So, you know, I have that going for me. Let's go. I was going to say one of the things that that I think are, is interesting to think about, and not to not to spend too much more time on your playing career. We we, we can move on soon after this, but uh, do you think like how how different? was your approach to what it would be now if you're coming up even like a couple of years later uh, and, and, or how much did you rely on? I mean, clearly you went through like Bodhi specific training protocols and I'm assuming there was some, maybe not as much as there is now, or almost certainly not as much as there, there is now, like, you know, biomic background to w- what you did, why you did that. Uh, but I, I'm curious about like any arsenal analysis or any sort of like saber, sabermetric crunching uh, that you did on your own. Or, or through like a, a third party, like Bodhi. What, what was, what was kind of your perspective on that stuff? Yeah, I mean, like, I never got assessed. I don't know if Anthony, you ever got assessed, or if you were even you were too early there too. But like, a lot of the methods, like the hybrid A days, velocity days, pull downs, were all in effect when I was training. But in terms of like how driveline exists today, was it, it was it was pretty different, right? And so, you know, we would I, my like throwing partner. Uh, over the years was the, another driveline uh, kind of legend in Jack Scheidemann, right? He was like a, you know, 300 pound shot putter that like went to a Mariners game and threw like 98 on the radar gun. Right. And so like, we would do like three, you know, high intent days in a row and then would do like a recovery day or something like that. Right. Like the, the training methods had changed quite a bit in terms of mine. I mean, we would, I would do, you know, driveline protocol like every single day and um, definitely liked how it felt. It got a little bit different in pro ball. I think, I think things have gotten better some with pro ball, but like we were pretty much outlawed from, from doing even like J bands were in some ways like, kind of looked down upon when we were were playing uh i don't know i mean i calculated like fip in college and tried to like find a constant for the pack 12 like i'd run like strikeout rates and i think i was pretty early on like walks are bad or you know just you're like running the mill like 2017 2016 sabermetrics but um man I, i think now and i think part of this is you know working with track now for a couple of years of like I would have used all this stuff <laughs> if, if we had access to it. It just we we're, we're a little bit too early. Yeah, you mentioned the, you mentioned when you started the for the assessment process. Uh, at least, like not like to the extent that it is now. Am I still quiet for you guys? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay, because I should be I should be louder at least on the. Oh, you're louder now. Yeah, I should be you're... louder at least like on the on the podcast front. But no, the assessment process was like. When I just showed up, the assessment process was just teaching you the drills. Um, right. And then I guess when I came back in like like 2018, when you were like working the lab, I did do a mocap, but like the reporting and it being built into like programming and all that stuff didn't really exist, not at least in the capacity that it does now. I mean, it was right. so much just like in the rudimentary stages at that point. Right. Yeah, totally. You mentioned, uh, Max, that you, you were kind of running running the mocap lab. It doesn't sound like – like what was your initial role coming in? Um, oh. <laughs> and like how did that how did that like transition into uh, just kind of being in charge of the, the, of the development of track and everything? 
Yeah, so my initial role was R&D intern. Um, and I think Kyle hired me without really having any idea what I would what I would do other than come in and work. And so I was supposed to work 20 hours each week, just kind of throughout the summer. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't even really know what I would do either. Um, I was kind of situated in like the main room in, in our R&D uh, building at the old facility. Um, I do mocap for, I mean, mocap would run like three, four hours a day. I'd often do it by myself. Um, and that would take, take enough time. And then I, I was pretty skilled with like spreadsheets and whatnot. So I could run some sort of work for Mike or for any of the other business side. Um, but I remember the first night, because Kyle actually picked me up from the airport when I flew home from uh, my, my early retirement. Um, and I think he said, like, you can work on the product that like combines all of our data together. And I think I actually, when I met with Alex the first time, had like tried to explain to him what that was. And I don't think Alex like even knew what my explanation was because I didn't know it. And when, like, when I started, track wasn't called track either. Like it didn't have a name. <laughs> the URL was still tracking.drivelinebaseball.com, yeah. but it didn't have a name, right? And so we were like, the first day I started working on it was the first day we started selling it. And so I basically started by demoing it to uh, a bunch of schools wasn't really a fully built out product when we first launched, but it could do a lot of cool stuff that is pretty, pretty new uh, to the baseball uh, field. Um, and so, yeah, I, I worked on that. I uh, got acclimated. I mean, when I started, I didn't have really any idea of like, you know, a, a UAT server, a live server, how bugs are logged, how bugs are fixed, or even like who developed the software. Right. And so there's a pretty steep learning curve there with, with working with um, with our development team and, and working with the, the project manager, Dwayne, who, who was working on that for the first several months I was there. Um, and so, you know, basically uh, once I started working on track after, yeah, about two months, um, I'd work, you know, 40 hours a week going on to like whenIwork.com and, and logging hours. Um, I'd work like 39 hours and 59 minutes or whatever. Um, and then by the time October came around and Dwayne took another job, like I worked on track for hundreds of hours and, and had a much better idea of how, you know, we run our iterations or fix bugs or plan features. So uh, it's definitely been a, a, a process to learn and um, one that I didn't have a ton of experience. I mean, I'd taken like project management classes or I, I, my, I got my MBA in business analytics. So, I, you know, I had a, I have a fine background in, in, you know, I have software, but certainly no expert there uh, coming into it. And so um, basically it just took a long time to, took a long time to learn. I was going to say, I think kind of almost your evolution is a little bit in parallel with, uh, with track itself. Cause I remember when I, when I first started, when I, when I first interviewed, I actually interviewed Dwayne. Dwayne was probably the only person that specifically talked to me one-on-one -on -one for a while besides, um, Bodie, because even when Mike came, he like talked with me. It was like me, him, and Bodie. Or I think like even Bauer was there the first day I was there. It was like me, him, and and Bodie. And then Dwayne talked to me for a bit about track, and he's just like talking about the database. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely help with that. I have a pretty good database background. And, and uh, my first like eight months or so, or or ten months, I guess, if Dwayne left in October, I was like working with him and and uh, just doing a bunch of database support, talking to the devs, but kind of kind of like kind of onboarding myself as well. Cause I, I was, I wasn't familiar. I was familiar with like classic databases, tabular structures, uh, you know, like storing data, 
building out queries, building all this stuff. But I, I didn't have as strong of a background in like all these like different types of actual like data types and, and different ways to store it, like these embedded JSONs, all this stuff that the devs uh, and by the devs, we mean the Belarusian dev team that uh, is uh, dear to Max's heart. And he talks to him more often. He talks to his own family and, and across more, uh, more diverse hours. But uh, yeah, we and then and then once Dwayne left and, and Max kind of like slowly got onboarded. I remember like we we we'd talk a bunch about like random database stuff. We'd almost like hit me up as a random resource. And then only like within the last year have have like the software tools like myself and other people in driveline internally been working on. Now we've embedded in track. We've kind of like married both worlds and uh, like really brought everything together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I mean, part of it too is like you need to a build out enough uh, of the software to like make it usable to then make your insights and analysis like mean anything. Like if yeah. people aren't logging workouts or recording any kind of training data. I mean, when we started in twenty, you know, when we first launched the product to live to people, I think we only integrated with like XLS files for Blast and had a DK integration. So, you know, our main data sources, I think we have the most amount of data with RepSoto. Uh, internally, we have a lot of HitTracks data. We have some TrackMan data now, but like you're not dealing with too high a data quality when we first start there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think like big picture, the, the you know, most of the important tasks that we'll develop with Track will we'll have to do with, you know, the three of you and, and a couple other people that are running, uh, you know, the analysis and um, developing processes that will allow you to give like training recommendations or, you know, give uh, automated reports. I mean, there's so much now that we can do uh, report wise um, that trainers can do to access more information, but like a lot more of what we'll do in the future is, is just making them spend less time on it. Right. And so I think we'll only continue to get more and more involved into the database uh, and have more people look at it. Um, I think that's really the only way forward now that most of the like core software features are built. Yeah. I mean, it's just like how many more tabs are we going to build? Um, we can make the tabs a lot better. Uh, but now it's just delivering data in the easiest way possible and, and make, you know, our reports as, as good as they can be. Yeah. From an too, R&D like, point of view. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think too, like our, like our insights, because the like tracks direction is very similar to, like originally when you were still running mocaps, uh, the reports would be ran manually. And then like Joe or I, or sometimes like Matt Daniels or Jags or like even like Sam Breen would like manually write up a synopsis of like the biomechanics report. And then <laughs> now it's like going from that to like an automated tool that processes the data and you get those insights. And so now, now it can be like people outside of driveline, but that's what we've done too with like the reports uh on like the hitting side like the batted ball reports um pitch design pitch recommendations like just getting all of those to like a much bigger reach and just like outside of manually uh writing all of those up one at a time yeah and there's a, so much work that has to go into like make that pr like process possible right like yeah. i know that you guys like writing up all the text notes like takes a very long time to begin with and same goes for just getting data and getting that kind of infrastructure in place. Yeah. That's not to mention the the time that went into like figuring out what to put uh, in those notes, like what matters and whatnot. Yeah. Just the, just the processing uh, side alone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, true. True. Max, how long did it take to get to know the back end of track and like, just like, uh, caravan was talking about the database structure and all that stuff. I've been like very impressed in the last, uh, little bit working a little bit more closely or being more closely like included in the conversations around track and its development. Um, how, like your knowledge base of the infrastructure and the databases, how they work, what's in the database and all that stuff. How long did it take you to get uh, familiar with that? And did you have any background in, in your like major or in college, whatever that kind of prepared, prepared, you, prepared you for that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'd say it took probably about six months to get like really comfortable with it. I, I mean, like SQL, it's very easy to get um, like the simplest understanding for like, I mean, you can, you could get, uh, you could you could have access or, or be able to find data. I mean, a lot of things with with track and especially with trying to find bugs initially, it's just like can you like literally find where this is? And if you can't, then like it's really hard to log a bug uh, or to to help the dev team fix something, right? Um, so I mean, I, I took like database management classes in in undergrad and grad school. Um, I can't say that I had like a great understanding of those, just in kind of the abstract. When you when you get like a lot of the work that you do in those classes were like match primary keys or like build out a database. But like, I, I found it much easier for, for me to like use this myself. If once you have a, a product that's already there and you have a front end too. So like, if I wanted to like just test, like, where is this? Then you just type something in, you know, the user ID, and then you probably have like eight to 10 tables that it could be in. And then once you find it once, like it'll always be there. Um, so, you know, I still like the first several months I worked on it and probably into like at least a year, I, I would just ask mostly Alex of like, Hey, I want to find this. Like, can you write me a query that we'll find? Cause a lot of the time you're like doing some kind of crazy joins or you're running, uh, you know, averages inside or, or trying to get like different facility IDs and whatnot. But like, as long as the goal, as long as my goal is like, can I have him give me a query once or twice? that then I can use to like change myself. Cause a lot of times you just change in like the facility ID, the user ID, date range, whatever. Like, and from there it gets pretty easy to do yourself. So, um, you know, now whenever we develop a feature or whenever we um, start to work on, on something new, like one of the core things we'll talk about is what will it look like in the database or how will we find it? Especially as that goes more into reporting. And if you look at something like edge reports, like all of that is just coming right through our database and, and you know, stored in as, as a JSON. So, um, and that'll really be all, all like only become more important as you get into more like integrated reporting. Cause realistically we could put in anything that track stores in any of our databases into an edge report and an edge report, um, as we, you know, continue to move on, could could go anywhere, be anything, right? It doesn't have to be a PDF report. And it doesn't have to be on an athlete's profile, right? You could pull team reports, facility reports. You could pull, really pull anything as long as you guys have it or we can find it in our database. Yeah. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit? I know it's like relatively early in the podcast to kind of kind of say this, but, but I think it goes well with the convo. Do you want to kind of talk a little bit about like some of the some of the more like uh, some of the non-black ops goals of, of track in the next couple of months. Like what, what are your biggest goals and ambitions from a, from a public point of view and, and what you, what you hope to accomplish next? Yeah. 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 It's been a little bit of a slower time in terms of deploying features. We've been on deploying new features either once or twice a month for the last couple of years. Um, we've been doing a couple of bigger, bigger uh, 
feature sets. And so we have quite a bit of stuff on our test server right now. Um, one thing that'll be really cool that we have um, that's just about ready is our um, uh, new user interface. So uh, it should look a lot more like um, Driveline's brand. It should have, um, it should just frankly look look quite a bit better. And that's something we've been working on for several months now. And we have our you know first build ready uh, to be deployed um, here. I think in the next two to three weeks, uh, we should be able to deploy it. Uh, it should be quite a bit faster too. So if you ever run into like slower load times on a couple of pages, um, our infrastructure has changed as well. So it should be quite a bit faster. Um, we have some front end features as well that I'm excited about. We have something called the workout tracker that will have a, a start button on every workout. Um, and then it just makes a very easy place for trainers to log um, notes about each of the athletes, uh, whether it be pitching, hitting, strength, health, or, or general. Uh, and so if you think of kind of the, the core pieces that currently exist with track, we, we have um, a very good system in place to schedule workouts and um, and monitor on an athlete basis. An athlete should have a, a very clear idea of what they're going to do over the next month, and the trainer should as well, um, training to get you better in, in that regard. Uh, but what we haven't or we hadn't built out um, and what we should have deployed soon is, is a way to communicate while you're doing the workout, mostly between trainers. Uh, and that's especially going to be helpful um, for driveline as we have many people that are on the floor at once. And so if you want to easily see kind of a thread, um, it's all built in with the workout that you're doing. Uh, and then not similarly, if you're at a college or a facility and you have like two or three people, it just should be much easier to communicate during the day. Yeah, uh, basically so large say, facilities, yeah. basically large facilities with like integrated training are going to benefit the most from that, right? Yeah. I think so. Colleges I think, too. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I feel like, I feel like this feature uh, caters to teams and, and like organizations more than uh, most of the features in track. Like it, it allows, like if, if there are multiple, like even multiple locations uh, of players or, or different groups of players doing, doing different things in different areas, um, I think that that generalizes to more than just facilities. So I think it could be a really cool, like big thing for team teams as well. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at like a college or even like a, a even in a, like a pro work, um, depending on the college, you know, like strength staffs or, or training staffs will be either like highly integrated into the, into, um, into the team or, or they'll be much less so. And so um, if you have an easy place to like leave a note um, that, you know, your strength trainer could see or your, your like trainer could see. Uh, I think it could be much easier for, for, you know, those four or five coaches to communicate because mostly what you're just looking for there is like, is this guy like maybe hurt and you want to leave a note really quick or did this guy screw something up last time and, and something you could fix or, or, you know, some cue that, that you think is helpful. I think um, those are all pretty good use cases. And so, yeah, I think, you know, whether you're on the floor with many trainers at a private facility or you have four or five people that maybe don't talk to each other all the time uh, training the same athletes, they could, they could both be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know it's, it's been like, even for, uh, even for like us as we, we've always preached integrated training and we always like approach, approach training athletes with all of the different uh, aspects in mind whether that's uh, recovery and, and strength conditioning and throw or whatever skills training you're doing, it's still like, there's still room to be improved there, I think, because the actual communication between all the trainers is just really hard, especially as we scale. So 
that when I first saw that that feature, I was I was extremely excited. I know that uh, Dan Adams, uh, shout out Dan, the head of strength conditioning or high performance here, he's extremely excited about it. <laughs> he hit up uh, myself and then Anthony and Joe on on separate occasions to to show us what all of his ideas yeah. about it. Yeah, and that's really cool to see. Uh, if you can get like good trainer engagement there about about something, I, I mean, I, I honestly don't think that anything makes uh, you know Jeremy, one of our other project managers with Track, or or I happier uh, when you know our, our. I think Driveline has had some of the more um, you know harder to please trainers among even our other our other users right in yeah. the past. So, I think that's been really yeah that that, that particularly. In, uh, excited about Dan's uh, excitement. Enthusiasm, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I think it's a good point. I, I think like part of the reason for track success is it was initially designed to help us optimize all, all the possible data pipelines we use, all the all the possible like analyses and reporting that we want a software to do. So our demands are usually like much greater than a, a lot of prospective clients, just because we've we've been around a bit longer and have um have such a diverse array of things we do and, and and clientele we see so like initially a ton of the stuff i don't know how obvious this is to to other track customers but a ton of the stuff is initially put on by demanding trainers who who want to optimize and train their athletes better and then put like very heavy demands internally on, on track and then and then max and attracts track team try to like satiate them i mean a lot of the times and i think it's like an interesting divide that that potentially will, will not always be the case, but there's an interesting divide at driveline between like people that are very hands-on with athletes and then the kind of software development cycle, right? Cause like pe- people that are very hands-on in general are like, okay, I'm doing this. Like I, I, I want to be doing this. Like, can this be done tomorrow? And obviously like development cycles don't go like that. Um, and, and Max, you can speak to this more, but like generally the, the process is like, you have to, you have to spec or plan out a feature uh, discuss with a development team, do some business analysis, kind of get the the estimates going, get that approved. Then, like, there's you know there's several steps between that and development, development, testing, all this stuff. And, and I think like you being in that position is probably one of the more unique like uh, hybrids of that role, since you're only you're only a few years removed from being an athlete yourself and having gone through the driveline training process. And then, on the other hand, talking to all these like very technical devs that a lot of our trainers would like not really be able to interact with or have an idea of how to, how to use them. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember that like the people that we're building it for are the people that are like, are the trainers who are using this. Right. Uh, But it is tricky uh, in some regards, right? Because if you are always building something day after day um, at the request of them, you know, it, it gets really hard to build something that's scalable and coherent and, and also usable to a, like a larger audience, right? I think we're extremely lucky that uh, the heaviest user of, of track is driveline and that we have, you know, thousands of hours a month that get spent and uh, have features and a pretty tight feedback loop to get other issues fixed. You know, a lot of the issues that we have to get fixed with track are brought up internally or features planned. Right. So there's a little bit of a give and pull. Driveline is also a much more complex organization than say like a a college or a high school where you have like four coaches, you know, we'll have 80 people log into track a month uh, from the training side on driveline side. If you get, you know, analysts or, uh, you know, business uh, like CR or track or or whoever uh, the track developers. Um, 
So yeah, working with the de development team, you know, typically we'll work, we'll be planning one iteration and we'll run one month, which is a little bit long in terms of software dev cycles, but we'll run one month uh, to plan. Uh, we'll then develop everything in month two and then month three we'll deploy. So we're always working on three different iterations. Uh, and so we can fix smaller stuff. You know, if there's text, like an error in text or if there's any bugs, we'll, we'll fix you right. know, within, a, within a week. But like, if you're dealing with like another set of features that you want, or oftentimes, I mean, like often the worst thing that can happen is like they have no suggestions or no feedback. Cause that like largely means like, eh, we don't really want to use this. Right. Which is like bad. Right. But then there's the other side of it where it's like, this is great. Can we get like these seven things? And it's like, well, that'll take like hundreds of hours to, to develop. Right. It's like in like two months you can do that. Right. But then like, so there, there's definitely a fine line of like, what can we get to our trainers quickly? And then what can we build longer term uh, so that we have a full solution, right? And so, you know, in the past, we've we've probably gone a little bit fast in some areas and maybe, you know, put, uh, oftentimes there's a, there's a little bit of a decision before like, well, should we push out something that's 80% done or 80% good that people could use? I mean, there's clearly a functionality that, um, is there and you can do something that you couldn't, you know, two months ago, or is it better to wait another month and turn something out that's a hundred percent done? Um, I would say early on, especially as you're building out a platform um, with so many new features like we've had, but it probably was, you know, we definitely erred on the side of pushing things out quickly and then iterating on that. Um, but as you get more and more users and as like mistakes are, are more expensive or more uh, costly, if you know, track, has any sort of bug that prevents people from uh, using it on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, that's, you know, thousands and thousands of people that uh, really can't train their athletes or can't log in to see. So the, you know, it, it, it switches a little bit from trying to be a little bit more cautious uh, now uh, from, you know, early on just trying to, you know, iterate as fast as you can. Uh, so there was a uh, Tim Campos in the chat asked if there would be an auto regulation tool um, in the track strength programs. Uh, like I, I assume that kind of has to do with readiness and, and uh, basically how, how programs should be adjusted based on somebody's somebody's like readiness for that day. Um, at least that's, that's my knowledge of auto regulation. I don't know uh, if you have more on that. Yeah. 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 I get so kind of into like program recommendations. Right. And so um my stance there is that that is what we are what we are building towards doing in some capacity. Honestly, the the people that would actually be in charge of uh, making sure that we have a, a system good enough and to validate that the system is good enough would be you know Alex and 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 you two and and our you know heads of each training department, right? My my stance on on building out something like that is just that it needs to be much better than what you currently are doing. Like any recommendation that isn't much better than the trainer initially is just, it's just useless initially, right? Um, but as soon as it's done, absolutely. Like you, you can't do something more important than that um, once it's ready. But if it's not ready, then it's, it's just, it's very difficult to, to do. So um, in terms of strength, we do have some more um, improvements on the strength side that are coming. Uh, it can be a little bit rigid to adjust workouts at times. Um, 
things like editing workouts on the fly. Um, so like right now you might have to, right now you have to drag and drop a new workout. And then if you want to make like a subtle change to a workout, uh, you'd have to clone the workout, uh, make that subtle change, rename it to like 85% or whatever, and then redrop that workout in. Like we're working on ways to keep that parent workout the same, but like sometimes you, you know, need to switch one exercise or one drill. And so it's pretty time consuming to do that. Um, but like you can keep the same parent instance um, and, um, and then just make changes on the fly. So something like that, I think we could do in the short term, but you know, a lot of R and D hours that we're doing over the, you know, next, you know, year or two years would be uh, on more of those like high-end projects and and i'm sure you guys could could speak better than i in terms of you know even how close we are to something like that i, I think you, you brought up a really interesting point um that, that i think maybe we're freestating or just kind of like expounding upon one of the things that i myself have noticed and that you reiterated for track is yeah when you're just starting to develop something and want something as a proof of concept or want like something to be able to give people it's the onus for you know beta testing or mistakes or qa is much is much lower like you want people to like oh there's no problem like like one small one one complete different output might just be a simple bug and that's all good you're, you're glad like it got vetted you're glad you tried this the feedback from people was really really important but then yeah when you have multiple paying customers and like people that use it very regularly you like depend on on certain features for like, you know, getting through their program, uh, building out their day, all this stuff. You have to be like, whatever you introduce has to be that much, like the, the onus is that much higher to have be like very high quality and be able to embed right away. And, and I think that's something we noticed too with the edge reports when we first started them out uh, internally and, and like our, of our internal like server, there, there are plenty of bugs or like when we first started kind of like beta testing them in track, there are, there are, there are a bunch of bugs and we had to fireproof them. We had to make sure they were fireproof to ensure like, you know, consistent use in, in the next couple of months. Um, so I, I think, I think that's like a really good point to, to bring home for in general for product management or treat or trotting out a new platform. I, I think on the auto reg one, one thing I've talked with you about that I'm really excited and I think is probably going to impact us more internally or in, us at driveline more than most other customers is, the the track api uh and, and being able to kind of automate batch processes or inf or almost like at that point it's almost ai informing like the the athlete or the trainer about what workouts stick out what's the suggested path and setting even setting goals automatically based on like whatever whatever parameters or conditions you feed into the athlete profile so uh, from my point of view we're we're both kind of close and, and pretty far away from that. We I think we're pretty close to doing like a semi decent job. But at the point where track is, how many people we have on track and how many like paying paying big time customers we have on track, obviously it has to be much it has to be like much better than like semi decent to to trot out in production. Right. Yeah, and I mean you bring up a good point there in terms of like I think the first thing that track would be able to do is let you know when things fall outside of a band, right? Yeah. Uh, and that could be something like you PR'd by three miles an hour on these athletes, right? So then maybe we build out some sort of tab or interface to show whenever somebody peaks there, right? Like you could see kind of an early build of like the workout tracker where like if we put in some core, um, even like badges or something like that, where you could get a pretty clear spot of like this person PR'd two weeks ago or this person dipped four miles an hour and is now like 
at risk or something like that. I think those would be the first things that you would see. Um, if you're looking for like automated recommendations, once again, like the development time there is is not crazy, right? Like we have APIs built out that we're going to start using internally and we'd give access to, to you know, paid users to, to start using. Ideally, we just put everything into a sandbox too, unless you test and build out your programs or something that we could figure out some way to, to you know, monetize that for developers or for us, whoever, right? Um, but like the actual development, right? So in, in that case, if you're talking about strength and you're talking about like, uh, you would then maybe need to create a new workout or assign a new workout. Like you could get very specific, but like, everything is in place there with the API to be able to like make that change. But the really hard part is like, can you build out a robust enough algorithm that like is really good at this? Right. Cause like mistakes definitely matter in that regard where like, if you're giving an athlete bad recommendations, uh, you know, X percent of the time, like that's, I would say pretty inarguably worse than giving no recommendations until they're, they're good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Tim's question also, I, I don't just like over, overlook this, but, um, he, he compared it to what team builder or train heroic, which I assume is another athlete management software, uh, has, I, I kind of, I'm curious as to like how much, like looking at those types of products and hearing feedback from those types of products has gone into kind of your guidance of where track development should go. Some things that are important for us to tackle um and how big of big of uh big of a part of our development that's been or is it mostly like feedback from our product for or of our product from our trainers or customers it's a mixture of both right i mean, I mean especially on the strength side you get less so on the baseball specific side in terms of software that uh, goes directly for pitching and hitting workouts but you know there are tons and tons of 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 athlete management systems uh, to begin with. And then there are tons and tons of uh, pieces like software that schedules out workouts, right? Largely in the strength and conditioning space. And so, yeah, Team Builder um, and other companies like that do, do quite a lot of things really well. Um, I think in that regard, we want to make scheduling programming as easy as possible for our trainers. Um, but, you know, I don't think you want to get caught specifically in trying to build the best workout planner at all times. Um, I think the, you know, area at which driveline and track um, is most valuable is in the reporting and the interface and being able to do a lot of things really well. Um, And so I think you can get into kind of a standpoint where you're, you're overbuilding or you're really trying to, to, uh, you know, spend a lot of your resources on on one of our core features, which is scheduling workouts. Um, but I think you could deliver quite a bit of value by making your workout scheduler, you know, really good, uh, but then spending more time on edge reporting and whatnot. Uh, because eventually, I think that's where the everything, and I think we're, we're, we're getting closer, right? And anybody that, you know, would run, say, like a pitch recommendation with an edge report would then have some idea of how to then train athletes to get a better slider, right? Um, and where we end up, I think, will be a place where all of those things are talking to each other and informing on how you're going to train your athletes. And so that's kind of the guiding principle that I think whenever we're uh, deciding how we're going to develop track and, and, and use our you know development team's time. 
Uh, Max, I got a, I got a, I got a question for you. Uh, uh, semi personal while not revealing one. I actually haven't asked you before, but I just thought of now as we're talking about, uh, <laughs> as we're talking about the future of track, do you think, do you, do you think like you're, you're passionate enough about product management that that would be, uh, I mean, taken, taken away, like, you know, like excluding for it for a second, like the experience you have behind it and, you know, the career path you're already on. Do you think like product, you're more passionate about product management than the, than development, like being a developer yourself or, or have you ever thought like, I'd be, it'd be cool to be the one developing these features, like from the, the very details, like writing the lines of code at all. Oh man. I mean, I'm much better suited to be a, in product of product management, right? Like I think uh, I could do, you know, one of the things that I, I've long wanted to do and, you know, I, I guess I haven't wanted to do it too much because I haven't, I haven't done it. Right. But I've always wanted to, to get, you know, better at writing code myself specifically. Um, I think at least having some sort of idea of how to talk to developers well gets you a long way there. And yeah. so I think probably my first year or so of just asking you questions or just asking the developers and getting to know them better and how the dev cycle work has, has gotten, gotten me, you know, quite a long ways there. Um, but no, I, I I don't I don't see me ever being an actual developer as, as something that I would would do. Although it would be, I would certainly like to be better at writing code myself. Because if so, I mean, man, you could uh, I, I could I could I could outsource the Hitrex calculations to you. Um, <laughs> since, since I've gone those wrong about six times for for our dev team. <laughs> I know we're in a weird we're in a weird spot now where. The developers are saying, like, why don't you ask Max for help with, like, the first, yeah, like, four database. times I, I had to log, like, the different computers we'd log into SQL. I would, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out for, like, hours. <laughs> I thought that was going to be your plug to, to restart Good to Learn, Caravan. Oh, no, no. Um, Get the coding classes back in. That's, that's a good point, though. Maybe, maybe remote Good to Learn stuff is something I... Uh, I get inspired from Robert Frey's uh, paid paid R tutoring lessons he's been tweeting about. Those are oh. cool. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I was gonna say, kind of, kind of a couple of fun questions near the end. I mean, I, I know this personally. A lot of the listeners maybe don't know this, but uh, I, I consider Max to be a, a man of fine taste when it comes to, you know, drinks, food, books, movies, music. Um, very, very open-ended, loaded question, but. Uh, I, I I guess yeah like I'm I'm curious what uh what what you're comfortable talking about what, what's your what's kind of your go-to fit one of your favorite beers um one of your favorite books you've read recently and then uh some some new music have been crashing uh well my favorite beer is this wait, 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 before before you get into it though before you get into it also another personal question uh you uh what's your kind of your marital status are you single <laughs> girlfriend married divorced where, where are you at on that i think the uh um base camp post we got from our our new executive uh i don't think you can ask that uh legally <laughs> oh yeah now, that's true right? that's true I that's think, true my yeah, bad i think, I think my bad, my uh, bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, how I'm old not, are you how old are you <laughs> I, I am not i am not married i am i am not married uh that looks, that looks like a bachelor pad behind you that's why i asked but yeah go ahead yeah, I bought a candle a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. Spruce it up. Put a light over there. Um, let's see. I like IPAs fine. 
I've uh, drank more wine during quarantine. Uh, I don't know what else there is to do. Um, let's see, books. I read, uh, I borrowed your copy of Freedom by Jonathan Franzen. I read that, I think, in a week. Uh, I really liked that. Um, let's see, I started White Noise by Don DeLillo last night. Um, I, music. Um, I've been into dream pop, dream pop the last couple of weeks. Uh, I played, I think, the same album twice in the car by, I don't know, what it, uh, it was what, Heaven or Las Vegas? Um, I don't know. I like quite a bit of music. You could probably give me a better uh, answer on what my music tastes are like than, than I could myself, or probably for all of those. Well, I'll name drop a couple. A couple. Uh, I mean, you got me in a Wilco for sure. Uh, you got me in a 1975, which is not, I mean, that's not that underground of a band. <laughs> Yo, bro, Max introduced me to 1975, dude. Wow. But I'm saying you I mean, it's not like Wilco is either. Yeah. Wilco's at least more, more low key than 1975. 1975 is like the joking band that you're like, bro, have you heard the 1975? Um, really? I think so. I, I've, I've, I've seen them like, uh, m- like memed as, like, like that's a band you tell people, like, oh, bro, I've been listening to a lot of. I don't know any like 18 year olds anymore, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't, the people that I talk to are so, I mean, it's mostly like you, right? I, 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 I have like, you know, I don't have a wide range of people through quarantine anymore to try to, you know, ping pong my taste off of now. Mac, Mac speaking of your good taste, I think uh, I just thought about it and so I, I got more into quarantine or uh, quarantine. <laughs> yeah, you got more yeah, into quarantine? Yeah. Yeah, I got more into wine during quarantine as well. And it was actually Christmas. I think it was Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve where I first realized that I like maybe could actually enjoy wine. I think uh, you, me and Caravan went to the to the Moroccan place in West Seattle and you were like, let's get a bottle of wine. It's cheap, whatever. Do you want a glass only? I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not a big <laughs> wine guy. And then and then you're like, get him a glass anyway. So I had that glass of wine. I was like, damn, this is actually pretty good. And that that from then on, I'm a big <laughs> wine guy now, dude. I also, that was the first day. That was the day that I realized that when people offer me things, I should probably, if I if I actually want to try them, I should probably just probably just indulge, oblige. Ito's Tapas, best deal in the city you could get. Uh, it was like half bottle off. Oh, I mean, I don't think they're Sunday, Monday. Sunday, yeah, Monday. Sunday, Monday, half off bottle of wine and... I mean, I guess small plates are never a good deal in terms of uh, food <laughs> food for money. But, yeah, I love that place. I miss living in West Seattle. I, I really liked West Seattle. Yeah, we miss you guys. It's messed up. I moved out here and everybody just left. <laughs> I mean, the bridge being down is, is really tough. Oh, it's yeah. It's very is, yeah. tough. Going, yeah. My, 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 second, my second fun question was going to be, uh, yeah, yeah I, mean, I, mean, I mean, again, pretty, pretty on the spot, but uh, – and depends what you want to share with the audience, but what do you, what do you miss the most? And what do you miss the least about living with me, Brady, a couple <laughs> other people? <laughs> um, well, the thing I would miss the most, I'll go days now where I don't talk to anybody. Um, but that might be the thing I miss the least too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, that's probably the most. I, uh, I miss just uh, sitting in the you know living room and, and seeing people for a few minutes at a time um, or around like, you know, seven or eight, if you're, we're mostly done working of, and I just don't really talk to anybody about work anymore. Now that I live with 
people outside of the house. It's, it's much harder to do that outside the house, I would say, um, you know, get a little gossiping or whatnot. I really like uh, living with fewer people, though. I would say that's the thing I miss. <laughs> I miss the least. When we went from, like, nobody ever being in the house from, like, from the previous, like, year and a half to all five of us being in the house for, like, two months straight, I uh, I think it was it was time to... It was time to leave. It, hopefully, our, hopefully our old uh, property manager isn't listening to this because uh, five five was not what we put on our lease. I think we had a, I think we had two people on our lease at, at one point, yeah. or for the majority of the time. Yeah, we should delete all of this. <laughs> uh, I was going to say uh, our uh, our old setup was pretty was pretty funny because uh, yeah, mine and Brady's room was just was just pretty small. Brady had a desk in there, and then I just had a desk in the living room next to the couch. So, so which for was large, also your bedroom previously, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but when it, even when it was in my bedroom, for for a large portion of the day, it'd be it'd be pretty pr- pretty slow pace hanging out between me and Max. When Max would just stretch out on the couch, throw on a uh, w- uh, a, a high Ron Tomato scoring movie, and I'd I'd just be fucking chugging along on my laptop, and then get sucked in halfway through and watching the movie with him. That's good. Cool. Uh, I actually think. Times. I actually think Max was was there with his headphones and watching a movie during the first podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, oh, I've I've the I'm the ten, only I think. I'm the only four time <laughs> podcaster now. I think I made a bagel in one of them, but oh, yeah. I the bagel <laughs> the toaster wasn't plugged in uh, for about two minutes. Yeah, I think I did laundry in one, and then I think I watched yeah Personal Shopper while you guys filmed one of the other podcasts, which. Yeah, I think uh, I, this is my fourth time being on. Wow. I think you also dropped off. Me. You also dropped off the the Flashman book series during the Dan interview because I uh, I interrupted my own, the own my own question to go. I think Max Engelbrecht is dropping off something. Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, I still need to get you a, a an equally um, deserving gift. So so look out for that. I'm waiting. Good luck, uh, Brady. You got any you got any questions from the from the quiet corner? No. What did everyone eat today? Oh yeah, <laughs> we, we had we had a we had a viewer ask. I don't know who KDG is, but uh, yeah, she asked what we were eating. Leftover Thai food. KDG is. Come on, caravan. Uh, I had some uh, tropical mist gums. <laughs> wow, very just wow. eating gums. Really I had a peanut butter flavor. and jelly. Yeah, <laughs> a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in a in a packaged salad earlier. That's gonna make her so angry, dude. <laughs> All right. Uh, on, 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 yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Max. What you what you eat today? Let's go. I, I had eggs and sausage and coffee. That's hard. Brady, what you got, dude? Leftover Thai food. Okay, yeah. Brady's audio is really not working. Okay. And thanks for coming on, Max. That's your wrap. All right. See you yeah. next time. Thanks. Thank you.